Scripture reading this morning is found in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 770. I'll give you a second to find the Scripture portion. Let us pay attention to the reading of the Lord's Word. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one instance, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intensely up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken, uh, been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The Lord bless this reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have of gathering around your word this morning. We thank you for this uh, study in the book of Acts, and we pray, God, that as we uh, launch that this morning, that you would uh, do what it is that you want to do in our hearts around us. God, I pray that uh, you would take it to the place where you want to take it. And you would speak to our hearts in a very personal way this morning. And the Spirit of God that we just read about and that we're going to speak about this morning, guide us into all truth to make your will known to our lives and then enable us and empower us to do that will for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. While there has been some dispute over whether this can really happen, these are either staged or the real thing of what can happen when something as powerful as a tornado rips through an area. Look at these images. There's one. Keep going. There's three here I want you to see. It's a straws. It was said that back in the, seven, in the late 70s, a tornado went through a town in Kansas and stuck a drinking straw about halfway into a telephone pole. 
It stayed there until the pole was replaced in the 80s, so the story goes. In another situation in Medville, Missouri in 1975, a couple witnessed both straw sticking through a telephone pole without being broken and one sticking through the glass in a door without breaking the glass or it being broken. Now, does the straw have this kind of power on its own? No way. The power was in the tornado. See, one thing is for sure, a tornado has the potential to take something as weak and fragile as a straw and send it into something as solid as a tree or a telephone pole. Now, it's that image that I want to stay with us as we make our way through this section of Scripture this morning. Because we are like the straw, and His power is like the tornado. It's a picture of God's unlimited, transforming power that is at work in weak, fragile human beings like us. We begin a new sermon series this morning in the book of Acts. And we're going to work through the first 12 chapters of this very unique book of the exciting story of the spread of early Christianity. And if your life right now is about as stimulating as a glass of old, flat ginger ale, (laughs) then this book is for you. If as of late your Christian life could be described kind of as as ho-hum, business as usual, then this study should awaken you to our potential as Christians serving a living, resurrected Christ. If your desire is to go deeper with the Lord, to grow in your passion for Him and for the world, And the book of Acts will fan fan that fire into flame. And while there are many possible themes for this book, and particularly chapters 1 through 12, how to experience a vibrant Christian life, no doubt is up there as one likely theme. How to experience a vibrant Christian life. I think that captures Acts chapters 1 through 12. The disciples were passionate for turning their world upside down for Christ. Am I? Are we? Were you at one time, perhaps, but it has since kind of died down? Has that passion been renewed in you as of late? Would you say that your walk with the Lord could be described as vibrant? Is our church vibrant? Webster's defines vibrant as throbbing with life and activity, lively, vigorous, energetic, radiant, sparkling, vivacious. Is that how you describe your Christian life as of late? If so, then this study will help to keep that burning and confirm that we're on the right path. If not, then this should help us to identify the marks of vibrancy. Now, I enjoy hiking. Although I have done overnight hiking and a a foot of snow, I much prefer the day hikes. I'll take that any day. Now, I remember years ago as a youth pastor taking a group of teenagers on a hike up a a pleasant mountain in Maine. And it's not really that big of a mountain, but you got to understand here, I'm talking about city kids, city kids who had never spent any time in the woods and never mind hiking up a trail up a mountain. 
They saw no point at all in walking up this trail to reach to the top. Maybe you feel the same way. What could possibly be at the top that could justify all this pain? (laughs) That's what they wanted to know. Is it going to be McDonald's up there? I mean, what is this? It was my job to convince them that this trip up the mountain was worth it. And I heard things like, Mr. Green, why are we doing this? Mr. Green, I thought you liked us. (laughs) Really, they were saying this. My legs hurt. I can't breathe. Do we have to continue, Mr. Green? Why are you doing this to us? Are we almost to the top? Wine, wine, wine. You would have thought I was performing a root canal on them or something torturous like that. They barely made it to the top. But when they finally reached the summit, something amazing happened. The dead came alive. They were running around and pushing each other and chasing each other. They were climbing on some big rocks. They were getting too close to the edge. I I mean, a, a transformation took place. They were awe in awe by the beauty of it all. The view was breathtaking, and they realized they had reached their mission, and it put life into them. Now, everyone here, I'm going to assume, wants the benefits of a vibrant life. Do we know the path to reach it? Do we know what it even looks like? I can think of many occasions as I have hiked different trails, the importance of the markers along the way. There have been times when I have wondered if I have lost my way to only see that mark on the tree that assured me I was on the right path. And like markers on a hiking trail let you know what you are that you're on the right path leading to a destination, I want us to surface markers on the path to vibrancy, aliveness, a glowing, radiant walk with the risen Lord. And they are marks for us as a church. But since a church is made up of individuals, they are marks for you. And so the book of Acts will identify 14 marks or markers on the path to vibrancy. And we should ask as we come to each mark, is this true of my life? Is this true of our church? Well, let's check the 14 marks to evaluate where we're at and how to guarantee we're on the right path. Our destination, vibrancy. And this morning, we lay the foundation for the rest of the study while also providing us with the first mark of vibrancy. And so look with me to the passage that was read earlier, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, the scene here, just, just to remind you, the scene here is the last 40 days of Jesus' time on earth. Our text this morning ends with Jesus ascending into heaven. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now before Jesus is taken up, he spends some quality time with those closest to him. It's critical to remember that these men 
that he's speaking to here would not be what you would call the star players. They're not described as the cream of the crop, the brightest or the smartest, or the most qualified. Oh, they had hearts that burned for their Savior, but perhaps no group of men had greater reason to feel inadequate than these handful of men right here, because the one they've been walking with is going to be taken up. And before Jesus was taken up, he calls them to listen up and then to wait up. To listen up and then to wait up. So first of all, he calls them, he calls us to listen up to the instruction of the Lord. Jesus passed on some instructions to his disciples before launching him into the world as difference difference makers. Now notice with me verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, when he says, in my former book, likely it refers to the book of Luke. These opening words transition from the life of Christ as captured in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the life of the church as portrayed in the book of Acts. Remember, Jesus declared, I will build my church. Acts shows us the building process. Verse 3 shows us what was absolutely foundational for the building of his church. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them, it says, not only once, but time and time again over what? A period of a month and a half. Christ is alive. If not, the whole gospel loses its authority. If there's no resurrection, then there is no good news. The resurrection of Christ became a driving force in the message of the apostles as we can see throughout the book of Acts. Let's not leave the resurrection out of our message. A Hindu once said, if what the Christian preacher has said about the resurrection isn't true, it doesn't matter. If it is true, then nothing else matters. You see, the resurrection is not an appendage to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. And this is why Jesus took a month and a half to give these men many convincing proofs he was alive. He instructed them on the kingdom of God. And we don't know all the instructions he gave them, but there's one very specific instruction that is central to our subject this morning. We find it in verse 4. Verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the context of the kingdom of God, the disciples began to dream of an earthly kingdom. And so they asked in verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's not a bad question. That's not a bad question. Any Jew who knew the scriptures could have easily made that jump. See, there's a place for the nation of Israel and God's future purposes. That'd be on their minds. Notice Jesus' reply. He doesn't chide them for their question. He simply says in verse 7, It is not for you to know. 
It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is sent by his own authority. In other words, the when of Christ's earthly rule is not to be your concern. That is a secret that belongs to God. And I think there's an application of this to our lives today. You see, it's a good thing that we desire to learn all we can from God and to uncover the depths of his word, to ask questions about the text that we're studying. But as we, be, as we begin to speculate about times and dates, as many have done, and we begin to speculate about things untold to us in God's word, let's keep in mind Jesus' words here, it is not for you to know. So when we're troubled by the situation which does not make sense to us, remember these words, it's not for you to know. And entrust those things to God as we put them in the file under the heading, things I don't understand. And I don't know about you, that's a pretty big file for me. I just put another thing in there just recently. Things I don't understand. God says, it is not for you to know. She were to listen up to God's instructions, leaving with him the matters that are to be his concern. And Jesus then takes it one step further here in verse 8. He says, but, and that is a contrast to what is just what he just said. There are those things that are not for us to know, but there are things we are to concern ourselves with. And so Jesus continues, verse 8, but you will receive power when, not if, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, times and dates are not to be the subject of speculation by believers. When are we going to get that? The time of the event was not what was most important. What was most essential was the immediate task to act as witnesses to Jesus all over the world. We're to have a heart for the world. And that's what we should concern ourselves with. That's what Jesus says. He gives the disciples a task to do. He gives us a task to do. The goal is to be witnesses. How are they going to achieve that goal? Well, not only did they listen up, but secondly, they had to wait up. They had to wait up for God's empowerment. Jesus not only gives them a job to do, his power will equip them to do it. The disciples here were dreaming of earthly thrones. And Jesus puts it all into perspective for them by reminding them that he wants to rule in their lives daily. It is Christ in them and his power available to them that's going to turn their world upside down. You see, the work of God can only be carried on by the power of God. The work of God can only be carried on, only be carried on by the power of God. So what must they do before going out as witnesses? Well, notice with me the middle of verse 4. Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. One instruction he clearly gave the disciples for them, for the, for them to wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit came upon them in power, which would be obviously fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Now when someone rises from the dead and tells you to wait, you wait. But they had no idea what they were waiting for. They had no idea, really, what it would even look like. 
They had no idea who this Holy Spirit was they were waiting for and how they'd even know when he arrived. It isn't until Acts chapter 2 that they realize they've received the good gift they were waiting for. The Holy Spirit's power is unleashed in a way like never before. It was imperative that they not only listened up, but they waited up for the Spirit's power. And I wonder, what if they didn't follow God's direction and they went out on their own prior to the filling of the Holy Spirit? They said, we're not waiting for Him. we got a job to do. Let's go do it. Have you ever done that? Now, unless I miss my guess, I think it would be similar to what happened to Moses when he took matters into his own hands by killing the Egyptian. What was the result? Running. Forty years in obscurity. It was an absolute must for the disciples to obey Jesus' instruction to wait. Now, I want us to get this. There is a direct connection, then and now, between listening up and waiting up. The connection between God's instructions and God's power. If you've stayed with me this long, good. This is where the application is right now. So come back. If you've gone for a little bit, come back. God's instruction and his power go together. God's power is manifested in our lives when we first follow God's instruction and then trust that God will provide his power along the way. He has given us his Holy Spirit to do anything he asks us to do. And I wonder on a scale of 1 to 10, we really believe that. One night many years ago, when my wife and I were first married, we were woken up to a loud bang And our bedroom being filled with a burst of light. (laughs) Jesus, are you coming? (laughs) We weren't sure. And before we could even get our mind around what had just happened, there was another loud bang, and again our room filled with lights. We immediately jumped out of bed not wanting to see what was going to come next. You see, there were some younger kids in the apartment downstairs, and our first thought was, are they okay? Is everyone else okay? Now, just as an aside... I've told you this before, that since I laugh at myself, I always have plenty of material to work with. (laughs) Now, as I went to get out of bed to check out the situation, my foot got caught in the blankets, and I fell out of the bed on my face on the floor. I'm ready to help you, dear. (laughs) It was at that very moment that my new bride realized she was in good hands with her protector. (laughs) See, I don't do so well when woken up in the middle of the night. Just file that one away. Oh, what was the loud bang in the lights? It wasn't Jesus coming to take us home. It was a transformer that blew very near our bedroom window. Now, it's my understanding that transformers do nothing more than break down into meaningful units just the amount of electricity you need in your home or business. Where hundreds of thousands of volts are available in energy for your home at some power plant, the transformer breaks that down in the right amount of power your home needs. Folks, we have been given a transformer. He's called the Holy Spirit. He takes all the powerful truth of God 
And he dispenses it just the way we need it. The transformer takes all the power of God and he breaks it down into what it is you need at any given moment. He will give you just what you can handle and what it is you can use. See, the power is available to us. The question is, are we tapping into it or are we trying to go at it alone? Where has that gotten us? Reminded of a story of a man who went into a hardware store early one morning and he asked for a saw. The salesman took a chainsaw from the shelf and he commented that it was their newest model with the latest in technology guaranteed to cut 10 cords of firewood a day. The customer thought that sounded pretty good, so he bought it on the spot. Well, he went home with his saw, his chainsaw, and the next day the customer returned looking somewhat exhausted. Something must be wrong with this saw, he, he moans. I worked as hard as I could, and I only managed to cut three cords of wood. What's wrong with this thing? I used to do four with my old-fashioned saw. Looking confused, the salesman said, well, here, let me try it out back on some wood we keep there. And so they went to the wood pile. The salesman pulled the cord, and the motor went, vroom! And the guy jumped back and said, whoa, what was that noise? <laughs> You with me? He hadn't heard that noise. He was cutting without the power. And I wonder, I wonder, in what way are we the same way we tempt to live the Christian life without the daily empowerment of the Spirit and we're exhausted? We're wiped out. We're saying this doesn't work. This Christian thing doesn't work. And God says, vroom, it's power. Let's tap into it. How convinced are we that we need the Spirit? Is He the forgotten God, as Francis Chan writes? If you're feeling lifeless and drained in your walk with the Lord, then one of the first places to look is to the degree you're trying to go at it alone. If your Christian life is less than vibrant, then chances are you're trying to listen up to His instructions, but not waiting up for the Holy Spirit to empower you. Here is our first mark on the path to vibrancy. We mustn't miss it. It is God's empowering presence. Do we really expect the Holy Spirit to show up and act? You see, the, perhaps the biggest obstacle to really experiencing His powering presence is misplaced confidence. There has been a, a subtle shift of confidence today. I am concerned that we have lost confidence in the power of the gospel to change lives. I am concerned that we trust more in man-made novelties and our technological advances than in the mighty hand of God to do the the spectacular and the unthinkable. God's word through Zechariah is a rivable of words for us today. Not by might, one's military strength. Not by power, human ability, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by computers. It's not by our cleverness. 
It's not by my creative geniuses. It's not by the newest and the latest, nor by polished sermons, nor by slick techniques, but by the Spirit of God. It is God's empowering presence that transforms lives. Not this other stuff. One of my favorite quotes of all time, so you've probably heard me say it many times before, it is when we depend on man, we get what man can do, and we depend on God, we get what God can do. See, we own stacks of good books on marriages and child-rearing, yet our homes are falling. Our homes are we have all the how-tos on successful Christian living, but we are just as cranky, self-centered, and restless as those who do not know Christ. How can this be? We're not crying out for the power of God. We need to get back to his power source. Hudson Taylor put it well. He said, we have given too much attention to methods and to machinery and to resources and too little to the source of power, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Someone used this illustration to drive home this point. He said, suppose I told you that I had an encounter with God where he entered my body and he gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball. Now, wouldn't you expect to see an amazing improvement in my shooting and my defense and my speed and my moves to the basket? If you saw no change in my athleticism, wouldn't you question the validity of my experience and my encounter? Believers speak of the, of the Holy Spirit who has entered our lives. The claim is that they are now given supernatural ability, not for basketball, but to follow Christ, to love one another, to rise above the clutches of sin, to serve in the church. Shouldn't there be a marked difference? Shouldn't those outside the church see a difference in our lives? And if not, then can we really blame them when they question the validity of our experience? Let's listen up to his instructions. Let's wait up on him. But let's wake up to how much we need his powerful presence every single day. And if you think, I have it all figured out there, guess again. Let's cry out for God's empowering presence. Let's deal with our independence that says, I can handle things fine. Let's be people who speak with unwavering assurance of one who has tasted the reality of walking with him. Let's be vibrant witnesses of the living Christ. Vince Havner's put it this way. He said, too much of our orthodoxy is correct and sound. But like words without a tune, it does not glow and burn. It does not stir the heart. It has lost its hallelujah. One man with a glowing experience with God is worth a library full of arguments. It's only as we cry out for God's empowering presence moment by moment in our lives that we're going to come alive. And when I speak of God's empowering presence, it describes something that goes beyond human ability. If we depend on what man can do, we will get what man can do. If we depend on what God can do, we will get what God can do. It's to experience power in our daily living. How is it transforming us? Are we different today than a year ago? When is the last time you witnessed life-changing power at work? When is the last time you indisputably saw the Spirit at work in and around you? 
Is God's word, the spirit in you, changing you? Can it be said of our church, if you go there, your life will get changed. You'll never be the same. These once timid, easily frightened, cowardly acting disciples didn't all of a sudden become bold, courageous, fearless acting witnesses by pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. They didn't do all that by attending an upbeat seminar on leadership or by reading some self-help book on developing self-confidence. They didn't get that way by some positive thinking. They didn't turn to each other one day and say, okay, boys, Jesus left. We can't keep moping around. Let's look at the bright side and let's just give it our best. Think positive, guys. And off they went. No, that wasn't it. What was it that transformed these awkward, weak disciples into devoted, inspiring men of God? There is only one convincing answer. The arrival and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't some cheerleaders that got them motivated. It wasn't a crash course on how to be successful. It was the Spirit of God and nothing else. The waiting for the disciples meant that the change would take place, would come from something outside of themselves, that something supernatural would happen. It was the Spirit's unparalleled help which would immeasurably surpass their own human ability. Loved ones, it is the same power that lives within you and lives within me. God has never lacked power to work through those who make room for Him. So what are we waiting for? Follow God's instruction and then trust that he will provide his power along the way. And I don't know about you, but I can think of times, many times, in which I was called to do something that I felt I just couldn't do. Believe it or not, I feel that way every single time I come to this pulpit. I can't do this, Lord. I feel that way when I, need to, when I, when I know I need to reach out to an unbeliever in love. I feel that way when I need to call that person who has hurt me. I feel that when I need to walk someone through a crisis. I feel that when it comes to parenting and to obedience. And on and on it goes. I can't do it. And some of you face a daunting task ahead of you. You may be worried that you don't have what it takes to carry on and to meet those stiff challenges. You may be here feeling beat up and drained. You may be here wondering, how can you ever move forward with what you've just gone through or about to go through? Perhaps you need to reconcile to someone or embark on some personal change, and your heart may be crying out, I just can't do it. You feel inadequate? Good. Because our inadequacy makes room for his power. Walk in the direction God wants you to go and trust that you provide the power along the way. In essence, it's a cry that says, God, if you don't give me the power, I'm going to fall flat on my face. We know what they waited for. We know the difference the Holy Spirit made in their lives and in their witness. We know that the same power that transformed these reluctant, easily intimidated men into invincible witnesses for God is in us and will equip us. We know that what they were waiting for arrived and transformed inadequate followers of Christ into powerful witnesses. We know that one of the marks of vibrancy is God's empowering presence. The question is, what are we waiting for? 
Have we yet to see what happens? Have we yet to see what happens when the power of God and the power of God's Spirit invades our hearts? The power is there. A new missionary was assigned a car that would not start without a push. So after pondering his problem, he came up with this plan. He went to the school near his home. He got permission to take uh, some children out of the class, and he had them push his car to get it started. And then as he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. He used this ingenious plan for two years. Ill health, I don't know if it's related to that or not, Ill health forced this missionary family to leave the field, and a new missionary came to that same ministry center and was given the same car. Before he left, however, he proudly began to explain his clever plan for getting the car started. He was all excited about what he came up with. And while he was explaining this plan, the new missionary was looking under the hood of the car. And before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted, Why, sir, I believe the only trouble here is this loose cable. So he gave the cable a twist, he stepped into the car, he turned the ignition, and to everyone's astonishment, the engine roared to life, and off he went for two years. Needless trouble had become routine. For two years, he carried out his own plan. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept him from putting that power to work. And I wonder, how many ministries are we carrying out in our own ingenuity? I wonder, how often are we accepting needless pain and trouble as the norm for our lives? This is the best it gets. It can't get any better than this. And we accept that as norm. I wonder, how much are we running on what we can do? The power is there. Jesus told us so, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power is there, loved ones. What are we waiting for? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Spirit of God who lives in us. Thank you for the power that is available to us. May we tap into that. May I quit running on what I can do. May I quit running on my own competence and ability. May you not be an afterthought, but may it be instinctive of us to go to you first as we start our day, as we go through the day, surrendering ourself to you, our control to you, and allowing you to empower us with your presence. What amazing things may happen as we do that. Give us the courage to do that and to obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close turning hymn number 294, just verses 1 and 3.